welcome back to Meet Me in the Middle. We are here, Lindsay and I are here with Dr. David Blackwell. Um, this particular, this is part three. Um, so make sure you go back and hear part one and two, but I'm gonna reread a little bit of bio for uh, Dr. Blackwell here. And Dr. Blackwell is actually a very good friend of mine and my husband. Um, so I'll call him David from here on out. <laughs> But just to let you know, as we go into this episode, which is gonna be dealing with COVID-19 and uh, vaccine uh, safety and hope, I wanna say, I wanna say this, is, this episode is about hope. This episode is um, a positive episode, okay? Um, hopefully this will answer some questions for those who might have some hesitancy um with the vaccine or some questions just about the whole COVID-19 process and pandemic um we're here to bring hope today and help from someone who has a lot more knowledge than we do um David Blackwell is the senior director drug safety research and development um at, within the Worldwide Research Development and Medical Division of Pfizer Incorporated. I think everybody's heard of them, where he serves as a general toxicology lead and has over 30 years of experience in drug development. Um, he contributes to Pfizer by assessing and communicating safety concerns throughout the life cycle of drug and vaccine candidates. Okay, with that little piece, um, and there's so much more and you're welcome to, you know, throw some questions at us later that we will send on to David. But David, we just want to talk about um, COVID-19. Everybody knows about, we're all probably tired of hearing about it. What has it been 18 months or something now or more at this point that we have all been living through this pandemic? Um, I want to talk about two things and, and man, you can get on a roll with this, but specifically how COVID-19, it seems from what I have heard that it has affected the minority population um, severely or possibly, and, and talk about that. Cause I, I don't wanna just say stuff that I don't have, you know, the facts to back it up. So tell me if that is true, if that is what's happening. Uh, the other thing that we want to talk about, and I have a few questions later on about the vaccination, and since you were a part of Pfizer's process to produce the Pfizer vaccine, um, tell us about the efficacy of the present options, what you've seen, and how can you reassure the general public as well as people close to our heart, followers of Jesus who are concerned uh, based on a lot of other information that is just all out there right now. Woo. Okay. Oh, one question, Joy. <laughs> I think I'm just going to sit back and sip my tea now. And uh, wow, um, start somewhere with us, David. <laughs> sure. So I think I start with, I think what you started with, which is about how the uh, pandemic has impacted the African-American community. Um, I, I think in general, you know, there's there's a couple, I think, of reasons of why that's the case. Number one, I think early on was because, you know, you have a large, pop, large proportion of your African-American population who are essential workers, right? Defend, how you define that, I'll define it as someone who has to go to work every day and usually meet, interface with the public. 
That could be on mass transit, that could be in a store, in a restaurant, in a hotel, in a hospital, wherever you might find people, typically you find African-Americans who are working in those roles of, of, you know, of, of facing the public. So therefore there's a higher chance of being exposed, right? Because it's a very contagious uh, virus and um, it travels in the air. And so it just makes sense that, you know, and, and again, early days, there wasn't a lot of, you know, consistency on masking, et cetera. So not that masks could stop it, but it would, you know, help the slow to spread, right? So everyone said, and it's true, because again, the way the virus is transmitted is through air and how it goes from person to person is on particles that we breathe out, right? Which usually have mucus or other droplets that we call them, nice term. Um, so they're heavy, right? And so the virus itself is very light. It will probably float for a long way, but because they're attached to something that doesn't float so far, having a mask in place prevents that spread because when we speak, we spray, right? And, and the mask will stop that, particularly if it has multiple layers, right? Uh, it doesn't have to be a, an N95, which is, you know, by def definition, stops 95% of particles that go through at a certain micrometer size. But any kind of mask, right, will help. Uh, that's why they say even wear a bandana, you know, as thin as they are, it'll help stop the spray, right? Because it'll, that's the problem. It won't stop the virus, but it'll stop the, the, the droplets. So if you have a mask and the other person has a mask, there's even less chance that something's going to go from me to you, right? Because it's just, it's just, I don't know what to say. It just makes sense, right? It makes sense. And in some cases, you know, where you know you may be very susceptible you may want to wear more than one mask right because again two masks are better than one it just is uh i know it's hard to breathe but that's because you know there's less getting through there which you know virus is transmitted so it all makes sense and i think most people understand that but i think that's the number one reason why at least initially there were so many more african americans that were impacted than non because of the jobs that we typically have. Okay. Number two is the fact that, you know, there is mistrust, right? Even when it comes to masking, you know, yeah, they're telling me I need to wear a mask. They're just trying to kill me or suffocate me or whatever. And again, I'm not trying to be flippant about that. It's just that that's what happens, right? When there's distrust is that you don't really believe anything that anyone's telling you to do because why are they telling me to do that? Um, and I think that's where it's gotten with the vaccination. I know that wasn't part of your question, but it kind of was, yeah. is that, is that, you know, someone is telling me I need to do it and now they're actually mandating that I do it. It must not be good for me because when, this is what my barber said, when has the government ever mandated something that was good for me? And I said, I can't argue with that. I'm sure there are exceptions, but I, right now at this moment, I cannot come up with one. But again, I try to come back with, I hear you. And all I can say for myself, I cannot live life that way. You know, I have to trust someone as you have to trust someone when it comes, let's just pick our food supply, right? Uh -huh. USDA certified when it comes to beef or other things, uh, meats. Right. So there is a veterinarian like myself who is in those plants to make sure they don't pull every animal, but every so often they, you know, they pull a number so that you know, percentage-wise, looking at statistics, there should not be anything that gets in the food chain that's untoward. 
And we know sometimes it does, right? There's recalls on lettuce and whatever because of salmonella or E. coli, right. et cetera. So it happens. But I personally feel much better that someone is there looking, someone is testing, and so that we do get the recalls when there's a problem, right? <clears throat> I feel better than that that someone said, oh, it's okay, it'll be all right. You know, just wash it off, it'll be fine. I have a person going to tell me that it's not good for you. You shouldn't eat it, take it back, whatever. So I've got to trust my government, right? I recognize it's not perfect. There are a lot of things we could do better, but I think it's designed and does a fairly good job of delivering, you know, number one responsibility of government, I think is taking care of the health of its people, right? And the same thing about a water supply, right? We try to have, you know, a safe water supply. I think the government and regulations do a good job of that. Those are the basic needs, right? The other one is air. And there, there are guidelines for air, right? So people like to push that guideline a little bit farther and say, oh, you know, do you really need that much clean air? Or do we need to cut emissions this much? I know Lindsay being from California, you're probably sick of all the, you know, emission standards that are out there, but they've got a big state and they, particularly now with the wildfires have a big problem, right? Clean air is not just something you just can manufacture. Right. So, so I say all of that to say, all I could do is try to reassure my barber that I understand your point, but there are laws and rules and regulations in place, not that sometimes they're not skirted and people get by with stuff, but the vast majority of what we eat, what we drink, and the air that we breathe is better than most places that you go because of the regulations that we put in place. How do, so, people, how do people respond to that when you say, you know, you, I mean, if you say, well, you don't really know everything that's in your food. Of course you know, not. You, you, uh, the medications that you take, a lot of people don't research the side effects of medication, but right. the vaccine is just like, ooh. Right. You know. but, but to the point, all I can say, Lindsay, is that what I know and what I know is that there are standards in place. And I can tell you that I have personally had conversations with an FDA regulator about the safety of a compound. And he's not concerned about, you know, does it work? He's not concerned if we're going to make money on it. He's number one concern was, you know, if I sign off on this, am I putting people at risk? And it's even bigger for food animal drugs because again, once it gets in the food chain, it's not a prescription from your doctor, it's in the food chain, right? So it's even more important that what gets in the food chain is, is you know, well understood and that there are, um, that there are no concerns because again, no one signed up to be treated with a drug that's in an animal, right? That's not how we, we live. So his number one responsibility was, you know, can you assure me, because his, he's got the cookie, you know, all I can convince him with is the data and the scientific knowledge that we have about the drug. He's got to make a call then saying, okay, is that enough to protect the public? Because that's my number, that's my number one and only concern and responsibility is to protect the public. So I can tell you from a personal experience that Folks who are on those jobs at the FDA and other regulatory bodies take their job seriously because they understand the responsibility that they have. And so I can't guarantee that, you know, everyone every day has a great day and nothing ever bad happens. But I can tell you, like I talked about Dr. Fauci, and I mentioned that for a purpose, that people who go into these areas, they could do so many other things. They decide to go into public service because that's what they do. And I'm gonna pick on you, Lindsay. You are in social work. 
I've been around folks in social work because my office at the clinic at St. Hope was right next door to a social worker. And I can tell, I knew how hard they worked to try to give every benefit they possibly could get for their clients, whether it was housing, whether it was pay their electric bill, anything and everything they could possibly do to help that client, they would do. However, they can only do what the client would allow them to do, right? They can only, here it is, I've made this call for you, I've done this, you now have to go and do this, you now have to do this. And that's, that's, that's on them, it's yeah. on them. Great point. So all I can say is the work that I do, the work that my colleagues do, um, we do it because we love it. We do it because we love, you know, science is pretty cut and dried. Yeah, we get some shades of gray, but either the experiment works or it doesn't. You design the experiment before you run the experiment and you set the criteria before you run the experiment so that when you get the answer, you're not saying, well, it could be good. No, it's either good or it's not. Did it make the criteria or did it not? It's a yes or no answer. There may be, well, it kind of did, so we might have run another experiment or redesign an experiment. For that experiment, there is a hypothesis and you test the hypothesis, that's the scientific method. And either it, it whether it, you know, it's a null hypothesis or it, it, it's, it's a positive hypothesis, that's what, the, that's what you do every day and you rerun the experiment. It's no different if I'm in a lab, in a test tube, or in an animal, or in a human. There are criteria that are set and you either make it or you don't. And that's why when it comes, like for instance, let's talk about the vaccine just for a minute, because I think that was in the question. Mm-hmm. When all the data came in, right, and it went to the FDA, and everyone's kind of waiting to see because again, double blind, placebo controlled, even for the vaccine. So the people didn't know what they were getting. The people who administered didn't know what they were getting. It's all coded in, you know, the computer tells you based on how the data, you know, come out. So and, and again, I, I sent a link to Joy about, um, it kind of talks about the Pfizer experience at least. And it's not any different for any other pharmaceutical, whether it's Johnson Johnson or Moderna or AstraZeneca or whoever makes the vaccine or the, or the drug, um, they were waiting. And it shows in this video about Mission Possible, the search for a vaccine, when they're in the conference room waiting for the results because they don't know, nobody knows. And they got the word because the blind was broken. And then they found out who got placebo, who got the active drug or the active, active vaccine and how did they do with, you know, infection rate. And they found out again in Pfizer's case that it was more than 90% efficacious, right? Which is unheard of for any kind of therapy, let alone a prevention vaccine, right? It's just out out the charts. And so there were you'll see how excited they are about it because no, you know, we're, I think the, the as you'll see here in the video, the standard, you know, what the WHO and I think of the FDA kind of set as a benchmark. And they said it was a high bar was like 60% so if it was greater than 60 or 60 or greater, they would approve it, you know, for emergency use. And it wound up being 90 plus. It's like, you know, that was just out of the roof, right? So I just want people to understand how, you know, we all worked really hard on that vaccine. My lab particularly did this, the testing to make sure it was safe to go into clinical trials. And so we, you know, worked very hard in parallel with the FDA. So part of the reason why it went so fast, and it may be a question you're gonna ask Joyce, so since I'm on the roll, I'm gonna tell you now, Coming out. A couple of reasons. Number one is because of SARS and MERS. 
You might remember back in around 2008, 2009, 2010, there was a SARS situation, right? And it stands for Sudden, sudden Acute Respiratory Syndrome. And then after SARS kind of went away because the coronavirus that was involved with SARS was not as infectious as COVID-19. So it didn't do well, you know, outside of the, outside of the human host. So it died off, which is great. Then MERS came along, which was called Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. Um, and it was similar to SARS, but a little bit different than the coronavirus. But because of SARS and MERS, it kind of gave us, not just us Pfizer, but other researchers saying, hey, everybody knows another pandemic is coming. You know, it, we, Ebola could get there, but hopefully it can be contained. Let's, when SARS kind of hits, like, hey, this is another airborne virus. It could be easily transmitted like influenza was in the, in the 19, you know, early 1900s. Um, so those researches already started. And that's where the whole RNA technology started as far as how can we do a better job of, of um, developing, of discovering and developing vaccines. Because as you may know, historically how vaccines work is that you kind of, you, you create the virus or you, create, you, you translate the virus from wherever you get it from, whether it's a, an animal or, you know, from a, a lab somewhere and you, amplify it, usually through eggs. And so that's why they, when you used to get the flu vaccine, you say, or do you have an egg allergy? Because they mm -hmm. use special hens that lays very controlled, you know, again, this is all very controlled environment because you don't want any contamination involved. Eggs that are then infected with the virus, you grow the virus there, and then you start, you know, taking it and you dilute it out and you make all your vaccines, right? Well, that's a little bit it's, it's old school. It started like in the 40s or 30s, right? So it works, but, you know, with technology comes hopefully some improvements, right? So with technology of being able to, um, you know, generate gene material, um, that's, you know, we, we're doing that for gene therapies now for people with, with diseases that were basically can cure them. Hepatitis C, you know, is, is a one or two dose cure, which is amazing, right? Because it was not that way before. Right. But anyway, um, so with new technology, we're able to do RNA um, virus, not virus, but the protein that's associated with the virus production so that you can basically use that instead of a live virus or a modified live or a killed virus. So there's no viral particles at all in the RNA uh, vaccines, whether that be Pfizer's or Moderna's. Um, Johnson Johnson uses a little different technology, which is kind of more older school, but not that old. Um, so anyway, it was because of SARS and MERS back in, you know, around 2008, 9, 10, that we started that whole process. Now we'll fast forward again. To me, it's a God thing. People would look at it differently and say what they want to say. But, you know, this is the verse I, I love and I hold on to is John 10, 10. And I think most people understand what that says. It says that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I am here to bring life and to bring it to the full. And for those of you like me, who like your Bible, the pages that turn, that's a red letter right there. That's yeah. Jesus talking. He said, I came to give life and to give life to the full. And so to me, this is just, whether it's the snake on the pole for numbers, or we're talking now with the vaccine, this is a gift from God. You can say what you want, 
But as someone who's been doing this work for 30 years, there is no way this could not have happened unless God put the pieces in place. Mm-hmm. And part of this I'm going to tell you, and you can watch on the video again, uh, Mission Possible, the search for a vaccine, is we had a relationship with BioNTech in Germany, a very small company, very brilliant people, because they were using RNA technology to work on a flu vaccine. And we are currently working on that now as we speak in our laboratories. The clinical trials have already started on uh, using RNA technology for flu. So we had a head start and that's why we were able to go so fast because we already had a relationship with BioNTech for the flu vaccine. And when COVID came and you'll hear the story again in the video, it was an opportunity to say, hey, can we use the same technology for COVID-19? In particular, since again, you can say what you want about China, but they were involved along with WHO in getting the genetic code for the COVID-19 virus. So once you have the genetic code, then you know how to counteract that code and block it from the attaching of the COVID-19 spike. And you've heard a lot about the COVID-19 and you've seen the molecule with little spikes sticking out and that's how it attaches to the cells and embeds this material into our cells and infects us. And so the goal is with the, with the RNA vaccine is that you block that attachment of the spike protein to our cells by having antibodies that we generate because we have, so the COVID-19 RNA vaccines do not have any virus parts all, all in them. It's all just the genetic code from the spike protein that has been injected into you so that your body makes an antibodies or antibodies to that spike protein so that when you are potentially come in contact with someone with COVID-19 and you get infected with COVID-19, your antibodies will not allow that um, virus to attach to your cells and you're protected. So it's just like looking at the snake, look and live. Your cells, they look and they live and they don't get attached by the by the COVID-19 virus. So that is how it happened so fast for Pfizer. We had a head start with BioNTech. The fact that we had the genetic code in early of last year, like January, February of last year, we were able to use that and start making potential vaccines for it. And as you'll see in the video, we had four that we were looking at. They ultimately wound up picking one. We actually tested two in my laboratory because we didn't know which one at that time. So we went, we did twice the amount of work because we wanted again, do things in parallel, not in sequence. They were making four batches of, you know, vaccine because they didn't know which one was going to be the one. So they had to make them up to a certain point, all of them, right? Because you can't wait. And and also why we were able to go so fast was because we worked in concert with the FDA. Not that they believed everything we said, but as we got data that was draft, which typically we would not give them draft data because we would want to make sure that all the I's were dotted and all the T's were crossed, which takes time. We didn't want to waste that time. They said, we will take the data and we'll wait for the reports because you know that's our assessment of the data. The data are the data. Either they show you know what they show or they don't. You can't spin it any way you want to. The data are the data. So they were able to willing to take the data, raw data itself, and start their evaluation. We were able to finish the reports. We gave them final reports. You know, all the data went into the from the clinical trials as well, the same way, right? So we recruited over 30,000 people in the US and our trials, even more worldwide. So it wasn't just a, a you know a, a US thing. We did we had sites in South Africa, in Europe. Um, I think there were four main sites for the pivotal phase three trial, which I talked about earlier in one of the previous segments, you have to go back if you don't, if you're starting with 
part three. You got to go back to part one. I'll tell, yeah. tell you about drug development there. So I'm not going to redo it here. But phase three was the pivotal one where we had over 30,000 participants, um, about half on placebo and half on active because you don't, you know, you don't want to skew your results. So you need to be able to, to, to test it robustly. And I will say, because it's one of the questions I get a lot, again, because, again, it's a God thing in my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. But because for the last 10 plus years, we at Pfizer and other research organizations have been really actively trying to get more minorities involved in clinical trials, which I mentioned earlier when I went to St. Hope, that's what I did. So I had a passion for that. And so working with pharma, which is the bigger organization that most pharmaceutical companies belong to, you know, they kind of have a, you know, we work together in some areas in, in trying to get word out like clinical trials. There was an initiative that pharma put out working with the National Medical Association or the NMA. And the NMA, in a brief nutshell, is the association of black doctors and health professionals that existed because initially they weren't part of AMA. The American Medical Association would not allow them to be members because of segregation and all the racial issues that you know we all know about. It's real folks, so don't pretend like it doesn't exist. It's always existed and most of the stuff is intentional. None, nonetheless, off that, off that rabbit path, but because okay. the eight the AMA would not allow black doctors to join. They made their own association. It's called the National Medical Association. It's been in existence for over 100 years. And um, the National Medical Association partnered with Pharma to work on getting the word out to try to get more black investigators and more black participants in the clinical trials. And so we've been working on this for years. And so finally, you know, when we really, really, really needed it, not that we all needed it before that, but I'll just give an example. An article I read, you know, it was about this time last year in a clinical trial, nothing fancy, a typical clinical trial looking at typical endpoints for African-Americans. I think it was a drug for either hypertension or for, um, for diabetes. The normal percentage of African-Americans that they can get enrolled is somewhere between four and 6%. That's just the best they can do despite all the efforts, you know, said working with black investigators and going to areas where black people live, it's hard to recruit people of color into clinical trials. But we've been working at it. And because of that work, when we um, recruited, and it was intentional, we wanted to make sure we had representation because we knew there would be this issue with hesitancy, uh, particularly with the black population. We were able to recruit approximately 10% of the population that was in that phase three clinical trial. And it was, I think, the same for Moderna and Johnson Johnson were African-Americans. So, you know, the black population in the U.S. is somewhere around 13%. So not quite at the percentage for the country, but not much better than four to six, right? So 10% of the folks in the trial were African-American. So um, I say that to say we intentionally wanted people of color involved so that when we got the results, it would be um, not just, okay, we we didn't look or we don't know, you know, if there's any differences in people of color as far as how it's going to react, if it's more safe or less safe or more efficacious or less efficacious. They were part of that. And so you can break that data out if you want to, but in the, the day they were representative into the study and they were also representative as far as the side effects and the efficacy endpoints. So there was nothing unique about that population, our population. Um, so I'm going to stop there and see if I answered questions or if there are more questions because I said a lot, so.
No, that was great. One question that came up, well, you answered the question well about some people's, some, some of the hesitancy is, it's still so new, um, you know, it, it, it just seems so fast. And I feel like you answered that. It really isn't that new. It's been in process for a while. It was just, what I heard you say is it's been more specifically honed in, obviously, when COVID-19 came, but there had been some work on this for years before. Is that, that right? Is, that is correct. So that- and, and- and, and continues in the fact that, you know, this is probably going to be the new future just because of it's just easier uh, because you're not, you're not dependent on another, I'll say, stage where you don't have as much control, i.e., let's say, an egg, right? right? You can manufacture this in a laboratory specific to the genetic code that you want, and basically it's a plug and play, right? Um, the technology okay, okay. Is, is there. And it's safe and it's efficacious. So, and I would say, you know, I haven't, I was going to Google before this meeting, but I didn't do that. And I apologize. I do not know how many um, COVID 19 vaccines have been administered. I know it's well over um, 200 million doses. I just don't know, you know, how many people are fully vaccinated, et cetera. But the point is that for those who are saying that it's too new, I'm going to wait. It's like, you know, so when is it good enough, right? You got millions of people who have been, that's just in the U.S., let alone in the rest of the world, who've been, you know, uh, vaccinated with the mRNA vaccine or the um, uh, the J&J or the AstraZeneca all of them are efficacious and all of them are safe. Again, not that there aren't side effects. It's just that when you compare the side effects of the COVID-19 vaccine to the death and other sequela, some we don't even know yet about from the natural infection, there is just no comparison. And all I say is just look and live. So mm. go ahead, Joy. Um, look and live. Um, that's gonna be our, I think that's gonna be the title of this one, look and live. Um, okay, that's right. We've seen that hymn in church back in the day. Um, okay, what about, does this new, you know, the mRNA, I think if I'm saying that right. Um, how does that at all, uh, what is the word I wanna say, depress your own natural immunity? So right. that, that question or that thought came up in some stuff I was looking at, you know. Sure. Yeah, so um, I think I want to be, uh, there are many, you know, what's, what I think is really interesting is that, you know, I've been out of vet school for over 30 years and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I've always um, have marveled at being a scientist and a Christian. So um, I'm just, I'm still can't quite get my hands around how any scientist can believe that we as individuals, human beings evolved from single cell organisms. I mean, talk about faith. There is so much we still don't understand, right? And this is 2021. There is no, it's just not possible, right? But people will hold on to that because they don't want to believe in in a um, a omnificent God, right? So I I say that because um, when it comes to 
what we know and what we don't know about the body. And, and I'll say this because it needs to be said because most people don't hear this, is that we as a pharmaceutical, you know, I'll use the word giant because that's a word that people use a lot with Pfizer. You know, we're a very large company, been around for a very large time, a long time, but we are many, many, many times more unsuccessful than we are successful when it comes to drugs. So as I mentioned, you know, it's pretty easy to do the safety side. It's really hard to do the efficacy side because the translation from animals, which is our best means right now, animal models. And again, my wife spent her life developing animal models that would kind of, you know, um, uh, be a surrogate for the disease so you could find something that would potentially work. But even rats and dogs and mice are no, it's a huge jump from them to people, even non-human primates, you know, as close as we are, we're not that close. So I want people to know that um, for a lot of reasons, number one is that what we do is very challenging, very hard, and we're very, very uh, unsuccessful most of the time in finding something that's safe, efficacious, and we can make. So, you know, most of our trials, particularly phase two, where we put them in, in disease patients, they don't work despite our best knowledge and we think we're so smart and we got it all figured out, we got the pathway figured out, but there's another pathway we didn't know about, we still don't know about that somehow didn't make, somehow made our drug not efficacious, right? So why I started this joy was because of your question about the immune system. So what I started with 30 years ago, you know, we knew so much more about the immune system than my colleagues who, were uh, in the first classes of Tuskegee University School of Veterinary Medicine in the early 50s, right? Because yeah, they knew about white cells and they knew about maybe a few more other, you know, immune cells, but you know, the whole complement and um, different type of um, interleukins and all the immune system that again, we are still every day learning, you know, there were like interleukin five when I was in vet school. Now we're up to 30 something, right? They're just, and they're all unique, different. So there's so much we still don't know. Um, so I want to say that because I don't want to sound like, you know, I've got all the answers and I can assure people hundred percent that this is that or the other. We are still, there's so much we don't know about everything, including the corona, the COVID-19 virus, let alone, the, you know, the, the vaccine that we're using to, um, to combat it. But I can tell you what we do know is that when you do the mRNA vaccine, one of the reasons why it is so safe is because it's so specific to that spike protein. And there's so little other components that are in that vaccine. You're not, losing, you're not putting in other things that are called adjuvants, which historically have gone into vaccines like aluminum and other things that just cause your immune cells to get fired up so that they will start producing an immune response. That's really what their job is, is just to help you know, create a response within your immune system. It's not specific to the virus that you are, you know, vaccinating someone against, or in this case, the spike protein that's used to, to, to give someone some immunity. So all I can say is that from my experience, the, the mRNA vaccines are safe because there's so little in them besides the, the, um, the genetic code, to the spike protein, and the lipid particle that delivers that to the cells, right? So that's the main two components. There's a few other minor excipients, but compared to other vaccines, like I said, well, you'd have to add some adjuvants. There's none of those in the mRNA vaccines because they're not necessary because you're going specifically after the spike protein. And to me, the more specific I can be about 
you know, given a, a therapy. It's why it's so much better um, um, if you can target a receptor as opposed to given a chemotherapeutic agent, right? If you have a cancer, because chemotherapy is going to kill everything. It's not specific in killing just the cancer cells. It kills other cells, unfortunately. Whereas targeted therapies that are going after a receptor of some sort are specific to that receptor and specific to that cell. And so you don't cause the collateral damage to your other body parts. And I think that's the best example I can kind of give about, you know, why the mRNA vaccines are, I think, so number one efficacious and also I'll use the word safe, although I know there are side effects uh, compared to others. Sure. Yeah. That was my, you know, just lay person thought. And, and of course, a, um, because I do believe in um, divine creation, you know, I think that God has created our bodies in a way that is just far beyond what we could even imagine. Um, that fearfully and wonderfully made part. And I feel like um, God has just made our bodies to um, heal and, and fight and with an immune system that, you know, that it, you, we treat our body well, it should do its job too. So no, that really helped me a lot. I just want you to, as we close up this one, I want you to speak to um, people who are followers of Jesus. And, um, you know, I want to say, can't we all just get along? Um, I know that we're going to have differences. Um, we are probably the three of us here. I'm sure we don't agree on everything. Um, we're choosing to come together and um, love each other through any differences. Um, I just want to, you know, what would you say to the people that, that we call, you know, the um, body of Christ is a term we use for the people who are followers of Jesus. Um, talk to, talk to us in regards to all this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's a challenge, right, because there has been so much that has happened together, and there's so many things that you know, wind up being quote unquote married together that I don't think were, intention were ever intentionally designed to be married, right? And I'll use an example of myself. Um, I very much are in favor of not, um, of not restricting voter access, right? I think in this country, we should do everything possible to make it as easy as possible for people to vote. I'm all for voter integrity and making sure that people don't vote more often than they should or that, you know, we eliminate fraud. I think all that can happen is not by, you know, having a poll open one day, you know, for an election that happens every four years to have the polls open for a few hours on one day just makes no sense. There's other countries and other places have done a better job of, you know, a polling, right, and being able to get, let everyone's voice be heard. That's what a democracy is all about. I say that because it's very polarizing in the Christian community and other circles when you start talking about, you know, uh, issues that have become political. Mm -hmm. Masking is another one, right? It's become a, a, a very political issue. I should be free to do what I want. No one can tell me what to do. I see signs in my neighborhood about unmask our kids, you know, and it drives me nuts, right? Because as a public health person, you know, it's, that's where the public comes in. The public has to take, we have to take care of each other, right? Otherwise it doesn't work. But I also say that, you know, one of the first things I learned when I started pursuing my master's of public health is that this discussion has old as time. So one of the oldest cases ever is from like 1902. 
Jacobson versus the state of Massachusetts where they were trying to mandate vaccinations. Ah. <laughs> and, it went, and it went to the Supreme Court. So my point is that these aren't new issues. You know, as long as you got people, you're gonna have different opinions. But to your point, Joy, we gotta figure out how to make this work together. So it's interesting that this kind of three-legged stool has happened with, you know, the, the election where some people say that was fraud and there's, you know, uh, the president who lost, didn't lose, he really won. Uh, we've got, you know, the whole George Floyd murder situation, which, you know, to me, if that wasn't called a video, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Things wouldn't have changed because it's been happening for years, right? But it just happened to the right person who was not afraid to, you know, to film something that was terrible to see so that the rest of the world could see and start ripping the Band-Aid off that needed to be ripped off of our country many, many, many years ago. It started post-Civil War, uh, but then it easily got squelched by the whole Reconstruction um, situation that just didn't work because those in power didn't want it to work and they had the cookie and so they changed the laws and actually made it worse, right, with Jim Crow laws. And so for 100 years, we faced that until the Voting Rights Act. And I say all that because one of the things that I think every Christian, I don't care what color you are, is you need to spend time, number one, read Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail, 1963. It's about 24 pages long. It's an easy read. Everyone needs to read that at least once a year. Because the things that Dr. King talks about in 1963, when he was questioned by his fellow clergy as to why are you pushing this issue for equality? We're, we're moving the needle, you know, it's going along. Why are you trying to add some gasoline to the fire? Because Dr. King says, you know, how long is long enough? It's a hundred years since, you know, slavery was um, um, made unconstitutional. So here we are, 1963, and we still are second-class citizens by design, again, by the rules and laws of the land, they, the rules and the laws need to change. Um, so the Christian community has never been on the forefront of that. There have been a few, there are a few that walked with King, but many others were happy to say, you know, we're, as long as we aren't treating bad people poorly, it's okay. I don't care how my other brothers and sisters are suffering. Yeah, we may have church and then go see a lynching that afternoon uh, because we wanna wait till after church, but that's what happened. That's just history. And again, the church has not talked about these things. It's been swept under the rug. We just don't talk about it. So the other thing I would suggest people do, again, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ, besides reading the, the letters to Birmingham jail, if that doesn't get you excited, read The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. Because if that doesn't, Jamar lays it out there. The cover of Jamar's book is something that's probably near and dear to the hearts of some of your folks there in, in, in Huntsville. It's a picture of the funeral of the four little girls who were killed in Birmingham from the bombing. Just a few months after Dr. King um, had the letter to Birmingham jail. Um, so, and that was intentional, right? Because again, it's a church, there was a bombing, someone blew up a church. Does it get any worse than that? You blow up a church where your brothers and sisters in Christ are coming together to worship the same God that made us all equal. At least that's what we claim. Uh, but since then and before then, there's been a lot of segregation, and mostly in the church. It's still probably the most segregated hour yes. of the country is 11 o'clock or whatever time it is uh, in the country. And Joy and Roger have done their part. Uh, Lindsay's doing her part. I've done my part here in Lilywhite, Connecticut. Um, but that's what we do, right? We, we are here because we want to make it better. And it yeah. can be better, but we can't. We can't ignore the past. 
again, there's a reason why we are here with vaccine hesitancy with African-Americans because it was earned, unfortunately, by those who did not have our best interests at heart and took advantage of us and have otherwise done all they could do to put us at a disadvantage. Um, so that's the past, we have to go forward. That's not a reason not to get a vaccine It's because of what happened in the past. It doesn't help that cause if you die of COVID or you have complications of COVID mm -hmm. because you're trying to prove mm -hmm. a point. That's, you know, look and live. I mean, Jesus, God gave us gifts that come from the Father and I believe medicine is one of those. You know, you take your high blood pressure pills, hopefully, you take your insulin, you need to take your COVID vaccine. You know, it's just another tool in the toolbox for your healthcare protection. Um, and again, to help equal the playing field for all of us. We all want to live. We all want to live well. Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it to the full. And to the full means to the full. He didn't mince words. He said to the full. That means everything I give you, I want you to take advantage of. And a vaccine is one of those gifts from God. You don't have to believe me. I happen to believe that. I've been in this business a long time. I've been in ministry a long time. And um, sometimes you just need to hear that. And if you're wrestling with that, wrestle with God. He's can take it, you know, wrestle with him, you know, and, and see where it winds up. But don't just um, believe everything you hear from every source. Everyone says, yeah, I've done my research. Well, you need to question it. What research have you done? Have you done 30 years of research? Have you done, you know, were you in the lab? Do you know, the, have you looked at... All the results from the vaccines are published in the New England Journal of Medicine, which you can probably easily get your hands on. Uh, look it up if you have questions, if you need someone to help you through that, get some help. There are people who want to help you. Um, so I don't know, again, I can't convince you. It's your choice. I think it should be your choice. But um, if you don't do it for yourself, do it for those you love and those who can't get vaccinated, right? And right now it's the kids. Um, who hopefully will be able to be vaccinated soon, but right now they can't. So, um, yeah, and their teachers and everyone else that's, you know, in the school system. Now with the booster, with the booster, um, do you think that there'll be more boosters that we have to take or like it'll be like the, the flu, you know, every yeah. year, something like that? It's a really good question. Actually, I was in a uh, town hall today from our um, president of research, right, who showed some data from the various boosters. As you know, there's conversations going on right now, whether you can mix the vaccines. Uh, I think, you know, again, the FDA will have to make that decision. I trust them and their judgment. Again, they don't have a dog in a fight, right? They're not trying to, you know, people say, oh, they're in the, in the pocket of the pharmaceutical companies. You have to show me where that is because I know what, you know, we pay a fee to get our drugs, you know, um, not approved, but to get them to be evaluated because we want them to go as fast as possible. So for, in order for the FDA to be able to give the resources, they have to hire more people. So we feel that we should be able to pay that. Yeah, we can help with that, right? We can help pay for more people, but that's where the, that's where it stops, right? We just pay for more people to be able to evaluate our packages faster. And as you know, not every package that goes in gets approved. For instance, Pfizer said, we think that, you know, our data show that, you know, our data and the data from the rest of the world show that there's advantages for everyone getting a booster. FDA said, no, we don't think so. We think for those 65 and over, for those who may have pre-existing conditions or underlying, you know, immune compromise, yes, they should get a booster. But for the rest of the population right now, the data doesn't show that. We'll, again, we'll continue to give them data and they'll continue to evaluate. That's the way it should work. So we don't always get what we want. So don't believe that the FDA is in the pocket of the big pharma, because if you look at the number of drugs that are approved, believe me, everyone that gets in there, we believe the data are good enough to, 
to meet those three criteria that is safe efficacious and we can manufacture it, they frequently disagree with us. And so believe that there's integrity in the system. Um, there are people who are out there who do have your best interest at heart uh, and is doing their best to make things available to the public. Because again, we all win for pre prevention is, you know, one of the things we learned early in veterinary medicine, and that's why they call it herd immunities because of veterinary medicine, is that uh, if you can vaccinate an animal and prevent them from getting sick, it is pennies on a dollar cheaper than trying to treat something that's ill. And sometimes you can't because they, there's no cure or there's no treatment and they're going to die. And that's just the waste for everything. So prevention is always better. That's why you should never start smoking. If you are smoking, stop smoking, right? It's just don't, don't inflict things in your body that don't need to be inflicted. And if you can prevent something with a vaccine, which is, a you know, tell the people who have right now who have polio, right? I bet they wish they would have had a vaccine, right? And they just missed that opportunity. And now we don't have polio anymore. There's a reason. It's not because, you know, it's because people took vaccines and we no longer have polio in the United States. It's a few episodes around the rest of the world, but we don't have polio because of vaccines and the anti-vaxxers and everyone else can talk about that, but that is just fact and truth. Okay. Oh, Lindsay, you have any more questions here? That was, that's so good. Uh, I don't, I don't. I, I think this has been such a thorough um, understanding and presentation of, of this whole subject that um, if I wasn't a believer before, and I was, sort of, now, um, I am, I am now. I really am now. Yeah. And I, and I, what I really appreciate, David, is the Christian perspective, because that, that is, I know that you're going to be true to that. Mm -hmm. I know you're going to be true to that. You know what I'm saying? So, so for me, that's the, that's the, that's the selling ticket for me. Yeah. I know that you're going to be true to God in what you do. And the other thing is that, you know, somewhere in scripture, I can't quote it to you right now, but you know, we know that God has people everywhere, right? Yes. Everywhere. And for yeah. a reason. Right. You know, just as Esther, for such a time as this, right. you know, God has people everywhere. He knows what's going to happen. No surprise to him. Again, I think the whole SARS MERS thing was a wake up call. It mm -hmm. helped us get our, you know, ducks in a row so that when COVID-19 hit, we were able to respond quickly. Yes, more people died than needed to. But that being said, I think many more haven't died because of what, you know, has happened over the last year or so. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to thank you. You've been working, you know, in the trenches, as I say, um, and people, I'm sure the, the majority of just us, you know, people out here, we have, I'm sure you tried to help us understand, but I'm sure we have absolutely no clue yep. as to the depth of the process mm -hmm. and the protocol and the things that you have to go through um, in order to roll out a product that um, as best you guys can produce is gonna be safe for all of us, you guys and girls. I mean, and I just wanna thank you for that. I know that um, working for a pharmaceutical company, you can get you know the darts fired at you because everybody seems to, want somebody to blame something on, you know, that's just human nature. We all do that. And um, I know that you probably, you know, have to deal with a lot of different stereotypes. Um, and, and then there's the whole racial issue. And that is 
all intertwined. We cannot separate that. And we've got to deal with that, um, especially in the Christian community, because this is where, you know, we are known by our love, right? Um, and um, I just want to thank you for just blazing a trail in so many ways with the health equity, um, with just the HIV AIDS um, population that you, you just worked so much into with public health and and, and then all of this, um, I'm just so thankful that God placed you in a position where you are um, for such a time as this. And I don't wanna use that phrase lightly at all, um, but I know your lab was very um, instrumental in all this. And I just wanna thank you for coming on with us and, and speaking honestly um, and, and talking to us and uh, giving us some more information. Um, this, is, this has been incredible. And uh, I just wanna thank you so much. We appreciate you. And I will say with all my heart, God bless you and God bless your family. Um, and, and I just appreciate um, all the work that you have done. And uh, thank you for talking to us. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. We're going to fan you, Joy. We're going to fan you. No, you know what, um, Dr. Blackwell, thank you so much for um, just talking from your heart, mm -hmm. um, speaking spiritually, yeah. um, and not trying to sugarcoat anything. Um, I, I appreciate the, 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 um, factual information, but also the, the spiritual um, backing of it all, because I think for our viewers that, um, that watch this, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn the tide for a lot of people. And um, it's, it's always a blessing to be able to be introduced to people that, like Joy said, and like you said, have been placed where God has you for such a time as this. Um, I will continue to keep, you know, our family will continue to keep you all in prayer because I know that that has to be a high pressure job. That's a high pressure job. It, it is, but I, I enjoy what I do. And I'll say two more things and I apologize for, you know, no, go ahead. Um, just want to get back to um, uh, just again, the rigor and the vaccine are in the, in the process. So uh, again, because no one's going to know unless I tell you. Yeah. So again, as a laboratory, we're we're classified as a, a, a GLP, which stands for Good Laboratory Practice uh, Laboratory. And the reason why that's important, it goes back to, again, not everything that's always been done has been ethical. Mm -hmm. And so back in the early 70s and before, there would be studies that would be done that were not real studies. They were paper studies, they called them, right? And to be honest with you, this is kind of ironic. Um, when um, the anti-vax um, movement started in Europe, it was because of a paper study that was done. So no real data was generated. And um, um, so it's interesting that, you know, it's, it goes back to John 10, 10, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy and is always a copier and uh, one who just gives you enough truth 
that makes you get on the hook. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, there's a common theme here and it, and it, <laughs> it rhymes with Satan. Um, so anyway, let me just say that. Um, yeah, say it. I, I want to I talk about the, so because I, about the collaboratory practice. So GLPs came into existence in the seventies because not everything that was being produced was factual. And so they wanted uh, a system in place, regulations in place. So the FDA, came up with a code of regulations. It's called a code of federal regulations that we follow and we have a quality assurance organization within our organization that makes sure as we follow those, those guidelines. But in addition to that, and they're not associated with the work we do, they're a separate entity, they have to be so that they're not partial again. But the FDA, they actually come and visit us. So every two to three years, they come and inspect our lab and they'll spend anywhere from one to two to three weeks looking at studies, looking at data, inspecting our laboratories, walking through, touring, et cetera. They leave no stone unturned and they, you know, they have our full attention. Part of my responsibility is hosting them when they come. So I know what they ask and what they, you know, what that's like, it's very tense, um, but we have nothing to hide. So we're happy to explain what we do, but not a surprise. They, sh they, they showed up on January 4th of 2021, right after our, our holiday break to look specifically at the COVID-19 vaccine studies that we conducted mm -hmm. to make sure that we followed GLP and that what we said is in our data is actually what happened. So they, not only did they, you know, look at the paper and the computers, but, you know, as I mentioned, we use animals in our, in our studies and the gold standard still for pathology is histopathology or, or glass slides. So we take the tissues, we make slides and the pathologist looks at the tissues and they evaluate them. Well, they actually pulled the slides and they wanted to see for themselves the injection site areas that we, you know, when we inject our animals, again, to show that it's safe, we're gonna inject people, we have to inject animals too, right? To see, make sure that there's no untoward things happen. They evaluated all our data. We spent two weeks there and um, um, we got a, a clean bill of health. There were no findings. So the FDA was there for, actually it was a week, not two weeks. I apologize for that overstatement. It was quite an intense time. Nonetheless, they came and they evaluated. Um, and at the end of the day, we had no findings. So they had no concerns about our data. Um, and basically, you know, that they did their job, right? Because they want to make sure that they can stand behind the data because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are granting approval. So they have to, you know, they're putting their name on it as well as we are. So um, it's just another check and balance to make sure that, there's integrity in the work that we do. So it's not just you know me or the other people in our group. It's a large number of individuals who are involved. And of course, if there's anything that's untoward that happens, everyone has the obligation and the uh, opportunity to say there's something's not right here, right? And sometimes mm -hmm. it happens, right? When people say, hey, there's something going on here that shouldn't be happening. Mm -hmm. um, and, they, and there's an investigation occurs and you know usually bad things happen. Right, wow. Thank you again. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's just so much people, we make assumptions, all of us, I can say, we make assumptions of how we think things happen or we can flippantly say, oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, there's just so much more into it. And, and for me, you know, we can, you know, we, we can assume a lot of things and go to a lot of different sources to listen, but I, one thing that was very important to me, I thought, you know, I'm going to go straight to the source and I know Pfizer made this drug. So let I thank God I know somebody that works there. So let's go straight there instead of 
another opinion here and this opinion there and that let's go straight to the source and find out and and you know there's there's going to be like you said there's going to be good there's going to be a mystery there's going to be you know we're all doing the best we can but but this is this is what i think we need to do more often is go straight to the source and then you can make more of your uh, a rational and and decision and a decision based a prayerful decision for those of us that that's a part of our decision making so um um again it's a lot more complicated than any of us realize and it we need to know some of that and i'll, and I'll say i'll say the same thing applies to clinical trials as well as to the manufacturing right so there's glp for laboratories which i do but for the clinical there's gcp good good, good clinical practice and the same thing happens right their data is inspected by the FDA, they will come on site and they'll look at all of our data again and make sure that everything that we say is true. And the same is true for the manufacturing. They'll go to the manufacturing sites and they'll inspect their data and look at their process and you know all their specs that they have. Everything has to line up. Otherwise it's not, you know, it's just not good. And there's quality assurance units associated with each of those so that we have our own internal standards and our own internal people who are looking in as well as mm -hmm. having the outside agencies come in and do the same thing. So it's a, there's a lot to check the balances to make sure that the integrity of the data is there. Yeah, and if any more questions, hey man, I can route you to Dr. Blackwell <laughs> uh, to answer some of those. And I'm gonna put probably in the description some of the links that you shared. Um, I think that's going to be really important, uh, again, to go to the source um, and to gather your information. You guys listening um, to part three, you have no idea, but, but uh, David has been on with us now for hours um, as we've done three different recording sessions. Um, and, and I just really appreciate of all the other work you're doing that you took hours out of your time to talk to us um, means an awful lot. Um, and so I'll close up there. Lindsay, close us out. What, anything else, closing words from you? Well, um, I just appreciate, again, the, you're, you're legitimizing the whole process of what you do. And so again, knowledge is power. And so thank you for sharing that and, and sharing such a powerful process yeah. Uh, what you all go through um, with Pfizer and and how you know COVID has um, the vaccination has been tackled at this point mm. and like you said look and live look and live look and live look and live and, and let me just say one one other thing because once a drug is approved so for instance our vaccine in this case you know Pfizer has full FDA approval now you can go to a Freedom of Information FOI. And there should be a summary basis of approval for any drug uh, for, you know, or vaccine so that you can actually look at the data that was submitted to the FDA. It's not going to be everything. That's why it's called a summary, mm -hmm. but it's still a lot that's there. So if people really want to dig into the data, they can that's dig into good. the data. They'll see all the side effects, you know, how many patients saw this, that, and the other, all those data are there. So, and that's the reason, again, to try to be as transparent as possible. So if, if folks are looking for more information, they can get their hands on more information. And that's available to the public, yes? It is, yes, you just have to okay. search for it, but you should be able to find it pretty easy. Just Google FOI for whatever you know, you're looking for and you should be able to find it. That's really good. Cause I did have that question come up from somebody about the FDA approval and is it this US or is it just, you know, internet anyway, whatever. Yeah. 
That's good. Well, I'll send them there. That that again, go to the source. Go to the source. So you heard it here with Meet Me in the Middle with Dr. David Blackwell. And uh, we just want to say how much we appreciate your time and attention to this matter. And we're going to share this video everywhere. It's going to go yeah. on. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. It's quite a pleasure. Thank you so much.